0: Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray it acts as an encouragement for you today. Everyone has a story to tell. This Christmas season, we're going to look at different perspectives of people from the Bible and the story they tell of Jesus' birth. I hope you enjoy the message.
1: Well, Nate worked for the government and he worked in the customs house. And Nate loved his job. In fact, Nate had trained most of his life thinking that he was going to be in politics and serving the government. He loved going to work. He had a great um, vision of what his career would lead him in, in areas of service for his country here in the United States. But one day, Nate went to work at the customs house, and his boss pulled him aside and said, Nate, I'm sorry, but I no longer need you. In fact, Nate, you're fired. And Nate was dejected. I mean, his whole life career had been laid out in his thoughts of what he would do. And immediately he began to wonder, what am I gonna do? I mean, I've got a house, we've got payments, I've got a wife, I've got children. How in the world am I going to share this news with my wife? And as he was making his way back home, he got home early that day and his wife looked at him and said, Honey, why are you here? Why are you here so early? He said, I've got bad news. I've been fired. And he said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know if we're going to be homeless. I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. And he just plopped on the couch in front of him. His wife just simply went to the fireplace and she ignited the fireplace. She walked out of the room and she came back in with a stack of paper and a pen. And she put the paper on the coffee table in front of him and laid the pen next to it. She walked behind the couch, and she put her arms around Nate, and she hugged him and just said, Honey, now you're in a place where you can write that novel that you've always wanted to write. She walked out of the room, and she closed the doors. That young man, Nate, is Nathaniel Hawthorne. Nathaniel Hawthorne sat there and penned a work that would become a classic in fact, his work is in every library in the United States of America. His, his work has been read through probably most of us as we came up through school. And the piece that he's wrote was the Scarlet Letter. And Nate said this, he said, If not for the providence of God, I would have missed out on God's plan for my life. He said that when he got fired, he questioned the goodness of God. He questioned even how does this plan even make sense? And yet at the end of it, he recognizes that the things that he couldn't see, God was already formulating for him. And he was able to step into what God had for him. You know, we're living in a time of 2020 where a lot of things just don't make sense, do they? This has been one of those years where things have just been disrupted for so many of us. And and you know what I'm talking about. With 2020, there have been all kinds of changes. There have been all kinds of cancellations. We've seen parties canceled. We've seen weddings canceled. Yesterday, I did a wedding in here that because one of the groomsmen had COVID, none of the guests could be here. No one could be here except me, the bride, the groom, uh, Tim running the sound, and Kristen running the camera. That was it. And so we know that plans have changed. In fact, corona has done so many different things to all of us in the course of this year that has disrupted our lives in some manner. Matt was just talking about the fact that we get to sing some songs this time of the year that we don't sing in any other time. And the same is true with a lot of different music. And I was thinking about a song this week, The Twelve Days of Christmas. It's the only time of the year that we sing it. But somebody took this song and rewrote it because of Corona. And it looks like this. The Twelve Days of Corona... Now, I'm going to do this for you, but I need your help because you can't hardly read these words without singing them, right? Because you know in your head you're singing them. So I'm going to be the choir director this morning. I'm going to direct you. I want you to join me as we sing this song together. You can see the words up there, and it goes like this. In the year 2020, the pandemic gave to me, come on, 12 canceled plans, 11 face masks, 10 sanitizers, 9 streaming binges, 8 Zoom calls, seven mental breakdowns six feet apart five curbside pickups four quarantines three lost flights two karen's complaining and a massive shortage of tp yeah you did great give yourself a hand yeah but you know we can laugh at that but there's some here and you should laugh at that thank you but there's some here that just can't laugh because it really has disrupted your life some of you You lost a job this year, and you're wondering, how does that even make sense? Some of you maybe have lost a home. Maybe you've lost opportunities. Maybe you've lost loved ones who have had to deal with this pandemic. And it's one thing for our plans to be disrupted. It's another thing when something disrupts our lives that is life-changing, and we cannot make sense of it. And we're wondering, what is God trying to do here in the midst of this? And we can't comprehend it. And so our minds are thinking, how do I walk through situations that don't make sense? Well, you're not the only person that's ever been in this boat, nor will you be the only person in this boat. We've been looking at the story to tell, and we've been looking at different perspectives of the birth narrative of Jesus And we've seen so far John's perspective from eternity past. We've seen Zachariah and Elizabeth's perspective as a priest, and they were going to have John the Baptist. But this morning, I want us to look at the perspective of the key players in this narrative. I want us to look at the perspective of Mary. I want us to look at the perspective of Joseph. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you look at Mary and Joseph's perspective of this incredible disruption in their life that doesn't make sense... When we look at Mary's perspective, it is recorded for us in Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Luke uniquely captures the perspective of Mary. But Joseph's perspective is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And Matthew uniquely connects the perspective of Joseph. Now, these perspectives are totally different. But when we look at their perspectives, when God doesn't make sense, I want to leave you this morning with five very practical principles of what you and I should do when life doesn't make sense. When something comes our way, and it's disruptive, and God is at the heart of this, and he's working something in our lives, and we can't understand or fathom it, what do we do? And some of you are here today. Some of you are here right now. What do I do? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look, first of all, at the lessons from Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We're just going to unpack these verses, and we learn three principles from Mary, and we'll learn two principles from Joseph. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's always relevant. Thank you that we have the opportunity this morning to look into it, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Convict us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at the perspective of Mary. Now, here's what's been happening. Zachariah and Elizabeth have been confronted by the angel Gabriel. It has been 400 years of silence God has not spoken through prophets in 400 years. All of a sudden, the angel shows up. Now he shows up again, and he's showing up in the life of Mary. Mary's about 15 to 17 years old. She lives in a quaint little provincial town called Nazareth, which is a dead-end town. Hardly anybody lives there. Very small community. And as she's there, Luke tells us what happens. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, old favored one, the Lord is with you. Now we, are, we understand a couple of things right away. First of all, Mary is a young virgin. I said she's about 15 to 17 years old. Twice in this passage, it mentions that she's a virgin, now, we all know that the virgin means it's a person who has not had a sexual inter- intercourse with another person, okay? So that, she's a virgin in that case, but it means more than that. You see, being a virgin means this. She's committed to a life of holiness and purity. She's a young woman of God. She loves God. She loves his word. And she obviously is committed to a life that honors him, So this is a godly young woman who is modeling her life according to the principles of God's word. She's betrothed to a young man by the name of Joseph. Now in Matthew's gospel, we discovered that Joseph was a righteous man, which means this, he's a godly man as well. So here's this godly young couple who love each other, who love God, who want to walk according to the principles of God's word. And they have all this plan they probably have. You know what? We love each other. We're going to honor each other. We're going to honor God with all of our lives. And here's what we're going to do. We have this dream of a future together in Nazareth. You're going to be a carpenter. Business is going to be great. You're a righteous man. Great reputation. People love us there. Oh, I can't wait until we get married. And then the angel comes and he disrupts all of this. And he begins to tell her that she's a favored one. And she's thinking, what, what is he talking about there? Oh, favored one? And the next verse, he goes on. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now, when an angel appears to you, it's kind of hard not to be afraid, I would imagine. But she's not afraid. That doesn't demonstrate any fear in her for seeing the angel. She's troubled, but she's not afraid. Why is he telling her not to be afraid? Because things are about to change. God's plan is about not to make sense to her about what he's going to do. And he says, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now what's interesting about Mary is the way she responds to this. God is about to interrupt her life. God is about to interrupt her plans. God is about to interrupt everything that she had dreamed about of this perfect marriage in this perfect little town. And rather than pushing back to God, notice how she responds in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. You know what that word servant means? It's bond slave. It's a bond servant. It means I have no rights and no privileges as a free person. When it comes to what God wants to do, I am his servant. When life didn't make sense to Mary, she responded in humility. And here's the first point. When God's plans don't make sense, respond in humility. When God's plans don't make sense to you, respond in humility. Notice what Mary didn't do. She didn't push back on God and said, no, 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 no. God, you don't understand. That's not, that, not going to work for me. That's not going to work for Joseph. Thank you for thinking of us, but we've got our own agenda. She didn't push back. She didn't bow up and said, that's not what I'm going to do. She walked in absolute humility even when the plan of God didn't make sense Now, let's be honest. When you and I encounter God working in our life in a way that doesn't make sense, that doesn't line up with our perceived plans, don't we have the tendency of trying to lecture God and tell him what's best for us? Come on, let's be honest. Do we? No, God, God, no, no, you really don't mean that, God. No, no, you, you don't understand how that won't work for me. God, here, this is what you need to do. We do that. and You know what we do? We talk to God with such arrogance and ignorance. And we should respond in humility. Instead, we bow up instead of bow down. We push back instead of embrace. And when we don't understand the plan of God, we should walk in humility. Why? See this rope here on the front? Some of you may have been looking at it and wondering what it is. This rope just simply... Represents eternity. We see over here. This side is eternity past. And this rope really is infinite. It continues into eternity past. This side of the rope represents eternity future. And it continues to go on. Now on this line. God knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every bit about it. And this little red line here piece of tape represents your life in the scope of eternity. And this is your life. This is about how long the average life would be, let's say, in the scope of eternity. And in in your life, you think you know everything. You think you know what's best for you. You think you know what plans are going to be the best plans. And you try to live along this little bitty tiny line here, and you don't even know what's going to happen the next moment. And yet you're going to tell God what he needs to do in your life. And God is looking at eternity future. And he's looking at eternity past. And he knows every single detail of your life. And we have the arrogance to stand before him in ignorance and tell him what he already knows. And when God's plans don't make sense, you and I should bow in humility and just be able to say, Father, I don't understand what you're doing, but you know all things. I don't know why I'm experiencing this difficulty. I don't know why I've lost this. I don't know why I'm going through this, but Father, you do. And in all of your knowledge, I rest in your sovereign understanding of all things. So when you're going through a difficult time and you don't know and it's not making sense, don't bow up and push God away. Bow down and embrace Him. I read a quote this week that just so stirred my heart. When you find yourself face down in the dust, worship God there. Some of you are in the dust. And God is calling you to just worship Him. He's got this. He has seen the end from the beginning. Respond in humility. It goes on. The angel begins to talk to her. And he says, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, the angel's telling her all this incredible stuff. Hey, you know what? You're going to get pregnant. And Mary, you're going to have a little boy. And that little boy's name is going to be Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, and he's going to be the son of the most high God. You are going to give birth to the son of the most high God, and he's going to fulfill all the prophecies set up towards the redemption of humanity. I mean, the angel's just going on. He must be excited about this. And what is Mary doing? She can only think of one thing. Her response is, and she said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You see, her thought was only captured on one word, and you will conceive. Everything else kind of fell by the wayside for her. You will conceive. What? 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 I'm going to conceive. What? I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. And here's the implication of that verse. And I will never know a man until it's biblically right. I'm committed to holiness. I'm committed to purity. And I'm going to continue to press on towards honoring God. How can this thing be? She was not doubting the angel like Zechariah did and lost his voice for nine months. No, she wasn't doubting or even questioning anything but how would this happen? So here's a second thing that we learn. When you are in a place where God's plans don't make sense, seek clarity. Seek clarity. Seek to understand what God is doing In your midst. Now, you know what Mary could have gone? She could have said, why are you doing this to me? Don't you know that we've already got the wedding plans? We've got everything planned out. We've got a whole life in front of you. Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this now? Why would you use me of all people? She didn't. She never asked a question why. She just said, how? Now, let me tell you what happens to us when we're in a situation where God's plans don't make sense. I do this, you do this. You know what the most questions we ask, the number one question we ask is why? 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 Why, God? Why would you allow this? Why? Why, God, don't you love me? Don't you understand I've been faithful to you? Don't you understand I've been praying? Why would you allow this? Why would you cause this? Why would you take him? Why would you take her? And here's the thing. The answer, the question why can never be answered this side of eternity. It can't. So we ask the wrong questions many times when we're going through difficult situations. And the right questions are these. What? Father, what are you teaching me? Father, what do you want me to know about your character that I don't know right now? Father, what is it that I need to depend on you for? Father, what is it that you want to show me about me? Father, what change do you want to bring in my life How can I go about giving you the greatest glory in a time that doesn't make any sense to me? You see, we're to seek clarity when we go through that. But the clarity we seek has to be through God's provision. Now, the wonderful thing about um, um, Mary was she had the angel there. She asked the question, and he immediately answers it. You and I don't have an angel. We don't have an angel next to us who can give us supernatural knowledge, but I, we got something way better than an angel. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. And when I seek clarity from Him, I go to Him and allow Him to shape my heart and I ask the questions that will change me into the image of Jesus. We've got the Word of God that we go to. We've got prayer, as Tucker was talking about. We've got one another to give godly counsel to. So listen, when you're in a time where things are not making sense, ask the right questions. And when we ask the right questions, God gives to us the right answers. The angel continues. Now he's going to answer the how. And here's what he says. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. In other words, Mary, you're going to give birth, but it's not going to be like any other birth. You're not going to conceive with a relationship with a man. God himself, the Holy Spirit, is going to overshadow you. And in a supernatural way, you are going to conceive without the seed of a man. And he is going to be the Son of God. You are going to be the incubator, Mary, that is going to be bringing about the Son of God in the flesh. And you're going to be the instrument that I use to usher the Redeemer of all mankind into the world. Now, you got to understand, we're looking at this on the backside. Mary's standing before an angel just hearing this. And she must be thinking, Who is going to believe that? Who's going to believe that? But here's what she says back in 38. And Mary said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Do you see the humility? Do you see how she was walking in clarity? But here's the third point that we need to see. When God's plans don't make sense, trust him completely. Trust him completely. You and I know the story from beginning to end. Mary is standing there before the angel. And he gives this plan of a supernatural birth and conception. And what does she do? I trust you. She had no idea the depths of what that meant. Let me give you a picture. She's living in Nazareth. a small town. She is supposed to be a woman of godliness and purity. Everybody knows who Mary is. She's engaged to Joseph. They're legally married, by the way. In this world, when you're engaged, you're legally married. And the only way to end that is through a divorce. So she is legally married to Joseph. Then all of a sudden, she gets pregnant. And it's not Joseph's seed So she's living in a small little provincial town where all of a sudden she becomes ridiculed. She becomes the image of shame. She's the one, like the scarlet letter, who would be pointed out to everybody. Her reputation is trashed. And that little baby that will be born to her will be found in the same condition of being rejected and ridiculed by an entire community. And she knows that. And in the midst of all that She trusts God completely. Can you imagine being in that state, 15, 17 years old, saying, I trust you fully. I know what they'll say about me. I know what they're going to do in the gossip. I know how they will treat my son. But Father, I trust you. That's a hard thing, isn't it? When God's plans don't make sense and he's calling us to trust him. Let me go back to the eternity thing. Here's eternity. Here's where we are. And God does something that doesn't make sense. We can't see past this red tape. But God sees it all. And when I trust him, what does that mean? Let me give you three areas of trust that have revolutionized my life. They will change your life forever. Number one, I trust his sovereignty. That God knows all things. I know very little. I don't even know what's going to happen in the next second. But Almighty God knows all things. He has seen it all. There is nothing that comes before the eyes of our Father that he is not already aware of. In Psalm 139, he says he knows all our days before we're one day old. And so I trust His sovereignty that He is in control of all things. And no matter what happens in my life, God has seen it, He knows it, He's working it out for His glory. And Father, I trust Your sovereignty. I can rest in that. The second thing I trust is His wisdom God never makes a mistake. And even though we can't comprehend it through all of eternity past, through all of eternity future, God's wisdom is perfect in every single aspect of our lives. And even though I can't make sense of it, I can say, Father, I know you never make a mistake. And whatever this difficulty is that I'm going through, I trust your wisdom. Here's the third thing. I trust that he loves me constantly. There's never a time he does not love me. There's never a time when He does not have His heart set for me. And so, no matter what difficulty I'm going through, I know that in the Father's heart are my concerns and my life. And so, I can trust Him. Let me tell you how that's worked out in my life. If I lose a job, God is sovereign. He's got it. There's no mistake made here by Him, and He loves me through the midst of every bit of it. If I contract cancer tomorrow, you know what? God is sovereign. He's allowed it and he never makes a mistake. And he loves me through the heart of it. And when you and I are going through difficult times, trusting him means that I can put absolute confidence in his sovereignty, his wisdom, and his love. I will tell you, these will revolutionize your life no matter what you face as you trust him. So there's Mary. The angel shows up. He tells her she's going to have a baby. She walks humbly, responds humbly. She seeks clarity. She trusts him completely. And then she gets out of town. She leaves. She goes to spend time with Elizabeth, her relative, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And she leaves for three months. She's gone. Now, here's what's interesting about the narrative. We have no idea what she said to Joseph. We have no idea how she said it to Joseph. We don't know when she said it to Joseph. Did she say something to Joseph before she went to Elizabeth's? Or did she go and spend three months, and because they don't have Instagram and Snapchat and all of that, there wasn't any contact. And then she comes back three months later, and she obviously is showing the visible effects of a pregnancy. Does he discover then? We don't know. But the perspective of Joseph is totally different. Remember, she's had the angel. She's got all the news. He knows nothing. She's his wife, legally. She has become pregnant. And I don't know how, because it's not me. What is going to happen? This doesn't make sense. So in Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, there are two things we see about Joseph That's incredible. His perspective is coming from a different angle. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. We don't know if she told him that or if that's been the story going around, but can you imagine the perspective of Joseph? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mary, you are a godly young woman. We're committed together. How could you Do this. How could you be unfaithful? I'm a righteous man. And as a righteous man, I'm giving myself to the word of God. And in the midst of all of this, I've got to continue in righteousness. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, which means this, that he was a man who was close to the word of God, the law of Moses. He followed it to a T. The mark of righteousness in this culture was the ability to be able to follow the principles of God's word and live them and he was known in that community as a man of righteousness and he didn't want to disgrace her she was already disgraced apparently but he didn't want to publicly disgrace her so it says he desired to put her away secretly now here's what's interesting can you imagine here's joseph in this town all the people know he's righteous all the people know he follows the word of god all of his friends must have been coming up to him and say joseph man i'm sorry i'm sorry man you got to do something about this this girl mistreated you she abandoned you she's got to pay and joseph you know what the word of god says in this case you know what the law demands what does the law demand deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 21 she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and there the men of her town shall stone her to death She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Can you imagine the pressure of Joseph? I've got a what? I know what the law says. But I am not going to discredit her or to shame her any further. He could have said, I'm getting even with her. Here's the first thing that Joseph demonstrates. When God's plans don't make sense, respond honorably. Respond honorably. You might say, what does that mean? What does it have to do with this? Here's what it has to do. Joseph could have gotten even because of his perceived infidelity. But instead of blaming somebody else's for his pain, he did the right thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's real easy to blame the boss when you get fired and you become the victim. It's real easy to blame your wife or your husband when things are not going well and you become the victim. It's real easy to, to blame that person who has cheated on you in a relationship. It's real easy to blame your children or your parents or your grandparents. And the thing is this, Joseph refused to be the victim in this case and instead of pay, paying back what he perceived was wrong. What did he do? He acted honorably. The ultimate mark of his righteousness was the fact that he did not put her away publicly and have her stoned. He acted honorably. Let me tell you something. A lot of times when situations come in our lives that don't make sense, we want to pretend we're the victim. But here's the truth. A lot of times when situations come in our lives that don't make sense, God is not using it to victimize us. God is using these tools because we are a masterpiece in the works. And all of these things he's bringing together to make us more like him and to make us more like his son. We are to act honorably in all things. So Joseph's thinking about putting her away. Remember, no angel. All he knows is what he perceives. And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid what the people are going to say to you. Don't be afraid about maybe your perceived loss of livelihood. Don't be afraid that you might lose your job or your influence. Don't be afraid that people might think you unrighteous. Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the relief that Joseph must have felt right then? Wow, it's not me. It's not another man. It's the Spirit of God. Take her as your wife wife. Do you know what that means if I take her as my wife? We'll be the outcast of this town. Take her as your wife. What does he do? He gives obedience. And Joseph arose from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took her as his wife. Let me tell you what that means in this community. When he took Mary as his wife into his home, he publicly declared to all the people in Nazareth that she is my wife. And even though you do not, I will treat her honorably. I am committed to her the rest of my life. And not only her, but when he took her in, he took that baby in with her. And that he was officially communicating to that community, I will raise this child. Not only that, but he named him Jesus and in this time, the naming of a child demonstrated that that child is yours. He adopted this child as his very own. Here's third, the second principle that we learn. When God's plans don't make sense, walk obediently. Walk in what you know to be true. Walk obediently in all that you do. Here's the interesting thing about Joseph. Not one single word of Joseph is ever recorded in Scripture. Do you know that? He never says a word. He never says a thing. The Holy Spirit never captures a word from Joseph. Now, if you look at Mary's life, she is talking constantly. But Joseph never says a word. He was a man of few words. But he didn't have to say anything. Why? Because his obedience spoke volumes. Every time God called him to do something that didn't make sense, he obeyed. He took Mary. He took the child. And then what happened was when Herod was looking for him, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, Joseph in a dream, and he arose and he took the child and his mother to Egypt. Take him to Egypt. He got up went to Egypt. When Herod died again, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and he arose and he took the child back to Nazareth. Always obedience. And when you and I are in a place that doesn't make sense, do what you know is right. Simply obey. Joseph obeyed. He took Mary The census comes, he goes to Bethlehem, 90 miles, and as they get to Bethlehem, there's no inn that's available, there's no place to stay. So he goes into a cave, which was made into a stable, which had a manger, and there with his wife, given full obedience, he witnessed the birth of of the son of God and in Jesus he could not have known that God was ushering ushering in a new kind of righteousness not a righteousness derived from the law a righteousness that is imputed to one because of their relationship with Jesus he sees a kindness of God in the midst of all of this and when he takes that little baby and he puts Jesus into that manger He sets him in a cradle but little did he know he was preparing him for the cross that Jesus would be beginning his days in a cradle and he would end his days on a cross and can you imagine what must have been going through Joseph and Mary's mind little did they know that those little hands would touch a leper's womb would wipe a widow's weary eye would claw the ground of Gethsemane, would feel the prick of a nail. Little did he know that those little eyes would see our nakedness, for we cannot hide, would see our selfishness, for we cannot give, would see our pain, for we cannot heal. Little did he know that those little feet would later grow callous through the difficult paths that they would travel that would feel the cold sea upon which he would walk he would wrench at the invasion of a nail that he would bear and little did they know that that precious little heart would be torn by the thorns of our accusations, ravaged by the cancer of our sin, crushed under the weight of his own sorrow, pierced by the spear of Of our rejection and little did he know that that little baby in the cradle would complete the work of the father on the cross that that little helpless child is going to become the redeemer of the world that that one who will bleed and give his life on the cross is the only means by which you and I can have forgiveness that that little baby in the cradle one day is going to walk out of a tomb resurrected and that little helpless child is the king of kings and the lord of lords it made no sense but they responded humbly they sought clarity trusted completely walked honorably and gave obedience to what God called them to do. From the cradle to the cross
0: is the Father's gift for you and me. Thank you for joining us on the Scotts Hill Podcast. Thank you to those who continue to give generously to this ministry. If you want more information about Scotts Hill, how to get connected in your community, or if you just want to know more about Jesus, visit scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it on your social media stories, whatever you want to do. Just make sure you tag us at Scotts Hill. Thanks so much for listening until next time.